welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationships. I am joined with my very dear friends and colleagues, Wendy Conquest, Tim Stein, and Dan Drake. And today we're talking about couples therapy, couples therapy in general, but getting a little more specific in couples therapy when betrayal has happened, whether via infidelity, sex addiction, or compulsive behavior. And our special guest today is Jake Porter from Daring Ventures, who is a man who wears many hats and is pretty awesome. And we're very excited to have him. Um, but before we bring him on, let's kind of see what the gang is up to and thoughts going on about couples therapy. So what do you guys know of Jake or questions you might have about couples therapy? Well, I'm really excited to have Jake on today. I find being a couples therapist myself with sex addiction and uh, betrayal trauma, it's very, very challenging to find a couples therapist that can really understand and relate to the addict and what they're going through in their process and also hold the partner's experience and have a lot of understanding and empathy for the partner. So I think it's a really unique set of um, strengths to have a really competent couples therapist. Um, so I, I, uh, I, I find that it's this challenging to find that combination How about you guys. I know for me, this, this kind of goes, we, we were talking before we started recording and there's, there's so many things that we could talk about with Jake. So I'm actually curious where this goes. I'm really curious to talk about kind of attachment based work and how that, that, you know, shows up in couples therapy work. Um, also grief. I know I, I listened to a talk Jake gave a, years ago on on grief and how that that fits in the coupleship process so i'm I'm curious where we go and how that goes and disclosure process so we got a million ways we can go i'm just curious where this conversation is going to go Tim, yeah I'm, I'm with you wendy I'm, I'm looking forward to the exploration about that balance between partner sensitivity and addict sensitivity and you know when do we lean which way and how do you sort of like hold that balance when you're doing couples work uh, and helping both people to find their way through and find their healing path. You know, that's not always easy. And I, I know that Jake, you know, has has leaned very heavily into partner sensitivity, but he also does a lot of addict work. And I'm I'm looking forward to that just general conversation about what does that balance between addict sensitivity and partner sensitivity look like and how does it get implemented in uh in counseling? What about you, Jeannie? What's on what's on your mind? Oh, I'm just, I'm thinking, poor Jake, like we've just set the agenda, you know, and these are amazing topics and they can go far and wide. And like, oh, we got 40 minutes or 39 minutes or whatever to do this. And <clears throat> um, I, I love everything y'all said, the difference between addict work and, and partner work and couples and which is a unique, uh, you know, the client is the coupleship. And so a lot of folks don't realize that couples therapists have that frame of view, like the relationship is the client. Um, I want to know more about grief. I, I Hearing that that video was so many years ago, I'm curious, does Jake have any difference of perspective on that now? Does he have new tools in the tool belt? What would he offer to clients coming in the room? So uh, maybe we need a part one, part two, part three with Jake. But hey, Jake, uh, come on and join us. Welcome. Welcome to the conversations. We're so glad to have you here. Ta -da, I, there he am, is. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. I've uh, been looking forward to it. Wonderful. And did you hear us 
kind of creating this giant list of amazing topics for you? I, I did. I did. And I'm ready to cover it all in the next 39 minutes. <laughs> yeah, right. right? Is yeah. this one of the times where we'd have like a speed talk and we just get lots of information? I can talk topic? pretty fast. I can. Oh, okay. yeah. So let's start off. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take the couples therapy. How did you get started to working with couples therapy or, or with couples in couples therapy? Sorry. Yeah. I find that there seems to be this sort of principle or law in nature or universal, I don't know, um, force whereby the thing we resist, we keep getting pushed toward. Um, that is certainly my experience. I remember when I started out doing this work thinking I will never work with partners. Uh, you know, it's like, give me male sex addicts. That's it. I get it. You know, been there, done that. I know what to do. Right. Good at it. Right. Um, and then I, and then I, I, uh, being the good, um, recovering people pleaser that I am and being not so recovering people pleasing at the time started having betrayed partners say, can you, will you see me too? Will you see me too? And, uh, was introduced to AppSats at about that same time, took the AppSats training. That's where I met Dan in 2015 here in Houston. And that there was a shift there. And then I was like, okay, well, I'll see partners and I'll see addicts, but I will not put them in a room together with me. That's not happening. <laughs> and again, you know, started getting those requests, <laughs> but you know, something happened when I got them in a room together, something happened. You know, I've done a lot of reflection on that. We we can get into what it is that happened, but I saw the opportunity there. I saw the power of having them in the room together and I loved it. I just kind of, just kind of fell in love with it and realized this is, this is where I, this, this is where I want to be. This is the lane I want to cruise. So that's so great. Yeah. And yeah. isn't it true? The thing that you resist is what comes in your door. The universe is yeah. speaking to you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Can That's I ask you, Jake? Great. I'm curious. So there's all different kinds of couples therapists and couples type modalities. What yeah. would you say when you're working with a couple makes the way you, you work with couples unique, your approach? Well, um, I, so I heard Marsha Linehan talking about DBT one time and she said, DBT is nothing new and she didn't invent it. She assembled, you know, uh, things from other modalities and therapies and put them together, uh, in a way that worked for, for those with, you know, borderline personality disorder. I kind of feel like that's what I'm doing is I, you know, I've got my CSET training through ITAP. I've got my AppSets training. Um, I did every level I was, I was on the track to certification and EFT literally did every level of training, all the consultation hours. And all I needed to do was send in my application, final application. And I didn't do that, but extensive EFT training. Then I got introduced to PACT, the, the work of Stan Tatkin, psychobiological approach to couple therapy and, and lots of other things along the way. And I've, I've cobbled together uh, something of a model that, just just takes pieces of of different things that seem to work with with couples where there's been betrayal and I'll and I'll give you a, an example of that I love EFT and EFT has such a strong um like evidence based uh foundation in the research literature 
Jake, what I found. Can you do the acronyms? What the acronyms stand for? Yeah, thank you, thank you, Wendy. Emotionally focused therapy. So, and that thank you for the opportunity to clarify because there's another EFT which is a tapping thing. So I'm talking about Sue Johnson's emotion focused therapy, and um, and and it's such a powerful model. But what I what actually I didn't even find it. I just kind of intuitively sensed it when I was in the training. Like, there's no no way I bring this stuff out early on with a couple where there's been betrayal, right. like that ain't going to fly. Right. So, okay, well, there's something here and it's good, but I can't just take it wholesale. So I'm going to take pieces of it and I'm going to use it at some point. <laughs> and over time working with couples, I've, I've put together something of a model that I call couple centered recovery that, that really just pulls from all these other existing models. What would you, how would you summarize? So couples centered, I think I missed it already. Couple, singular, couple centered recovery. Recovery. There we go. Yeah. If someone were to ask you in the elevator, I always mm -hmm. ask the elevator question. If someone to ask you, what is coupled centered recovery model? What, how would yeah. you describe that? So what I would say is that um, the first thing I would say is it's not for everybody. And maybe later we can talk about contraindications to this particular paradigm or approach. Uh, and then I would say traditional models are going to have, you know, approaches where the, the uh, addicted partner or the betraying partners, individual work is, is very much cast as that individual work and the, the betrayed partner, same thing, very much cast as individual work. And that is going to be, each of them have their own centers in that individual work. And the couple's work is almost like this auxiliary component. When we're ready, we'll add it in. Um, it's really more about, can we bring what we're doing here into this coupleship, this relationship? And, and the problem, there, there are a lot of problems, I think, with that. The main one is that individual therapy is a greater predictor of divorce um, when there's marital distress and there's not also couple therapy. So, so what's happening there often is, you know, it, the, the research shows you take people who are in marital distress you compare a group where one or both partners go to individual therapy with a group that does nothing. And the group that goes to individual therapy is more likely to end up divorced than the group that uh, does nothing. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is individual therapy, the paradigm is this is my client and my job is to relieve their suffering. With a couple's therapist, the couple is the client. I know you guys mentioned that uh, in, in the intro, right? The couple is the client and therefore the goal cannot be to leave, to relieve either person's suffering. Sometimes suffering needs to be relieved. There's a threshold for that. There's boundaries around that, all the caveats. Okay. But the primary goal has to be, can we function securely as a couple, despite some degree of suffering? That's a very different paradigm. So, okay. yeah. So, yeah. so can I just ask a question here? Sure. So, I was going to ask so, one too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I love this Jake because um, in the CSAT model um, th there's been for quite some time 
Um, and also in 12 steps, it's, you know, well, uh, he does his work, she does her work and, you know, don't uh, stay on your side of the street and those pieces. And that has significantly bothered me because I start asking, but where is the interdependency and where is the empathy and how are these two people going to coexist and resolve the issues if all of this separateness is happening? So, um, so I, I love what you're saying about this and, and, um, there, I get the question a lot when couples come in and they're starting to do uh, dis disclosure and he's starting to do recovery work and she's working on grounding and her trauma. Well, when do we do couples work? And so it's been a question that, that's, that's, that trips me up sometimes. And I've started just deferring to the couple and saying, I think collectively we need to figure out what's going to be best for you. I can't really determine that. Um, so I love the statistic that you brought up of if someone's doing individual uh, therapy, that it's more likely to have a divorce. That makes a lot of sense to me. Unfortunately, <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So I'm curious with the idea that if you're an individual, more likely to divorce, I'm wondering where in that equation or research study is includes also couples work or not couples work. Because I think for me, that's the defining piece is one person is here, one person is there, and then coming together also. Right. That's a different scenario, right? Yeah, that's exactly. a different scenario. And the, unfortunately, the study didn't look at that. Okay, uh -huh. so the, it didn't have that that control uh, okay. or that uh, additional uh, variable uh, isolated enough to to talk about it. But I can tell you, experientially and anecdotally, when I'm the couples therapist and I'm trying to collaborate with the individual therapist, um, where I feel frustration sometimes is about this paradigm that, and I've even had someone say to me, look, your job is the relationship. My job is just his recovery or her healing from trauma. And okay, <laughs> that's, that's one way to do it. But here's my question. What's the client's goal? Because if we're taking our cues from the client, which ethically, I think that's what we need to do what is the client's goal here if the if i'm working individually with someone and the client tells me that his or her goal is to preserve the relationship okay that that's one of the top goals and we don't even have to prioritize them but that's a top goal that should change the way i do individual therapy Right. It's going to change wh what are all the goals and objectives that help us reach that goal, that that larger goal. And um, and I think that that my side of the street, your side of the street thing. Therapists can take that on as well. Oh, well, that's your side. Well, OK, but the reality is and this is where we can bring some some neuroscience into it. If these two people live together, or even if they don't live together, but they interact and they're in part of this dyad healthy or not, right? They impact, they impact one another. They influence one another, their tone of voice, their vocal expression. How quickly do you respond to my text? How, how do my requests land on you? Um, all of those things have a literal 
visceral neurobiological effect on your partner. Are you going to own that or not? Mm -hmm. right. right. And and as an individual therapist, am I going to own that about my client? So when I'm teaching them boundaries, is it enough for me to say, hey, honey, that's your stuff, not my stuff. I know that I'm in, in my integrity here and that's really yours. Or do I say, wow, you're hurting. It, it feels like I might've stepped in something really big here and I don't want you to hurt. Can we talk more about this? You What's know, my goal? I have a, a metaphor I use often with my couples, which I call the fence. Because I remember back in the day, this idea of stay on your side of the street. And my thought was that does not preserve relationships that that creates more distance. So mm -hmm. instead, we have a little four foot fence and we have our own yards. And what that really is signifying is our own differentiated selves. But for sure. your example, it's like I come to the fence and what I'm doing and what you are doing, how do we work together? But we're still separate entities but we're choosing yes. by coming to the fence we can have an exchange mm -hmm. and then if i need a little time i go sit in my lounge chair to the side and then i come back to the fence and have this discussion but still keeping differentiated selves so I, yeah i i want to just say like and i i heard john leadham say this a number of years back he used this phrase he said you know i don't know much about geometry but what I do know is parallel lines never intersect. Ooh. Like it. And and I Mic and I've drop. seen that. And to your point, Jake, I think, right, like the old model was, and, and there is work to be done, right? I can heal, you know, recovery work for the addict that they, they do need to do focus on the recovery work. The partner maybe has does have betrayal and trauma as a result. So that there's healing, individual healing. But I I, I can't emphasize how much, how, how you know, working as a team and collaboratively, how significant that is. And yet most of us, I wasn't trained in a model where you may have three therapists working together collaboratively. I didn't, as, as systems focused as I was in training, I, I wasn't prepared for this. So the mm -hmm. traditional, I think that's, I can't emphasize how important that is because most therapists, we were trained, like work with my client, you know, in my little isolated silo over here. But this, this is a really big deal. And I think what you're saying is, so helpful for this couple to heal. So I, I really appreciate that approach. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, th th this, I, I like the fence and, and I like, I appreciate the parallel line thing. That's, that's so good. I'm going to, I'm going to steal that. I'll give John credit for it. Um, it's so good. And, and I think part of the problem is that again, in more traditional approaches, there are these sort of two um, visions of relationship. And one is this like total enmeshment or codependency, lack of differentiation, individuation, right? They're like, like you exist for me or I exist for you, even if they don't say it outright, like implicitly, that's sort of the the dynamic going on. And, and we would all agree like that is not healthy. And traditional recovery is really good at helping people grow out of that and individuate, differentiate, right? And, and it's like, no, I'm responsible for me. I take care of me. You're responsible for you. I can't make you do something, make you. And I think that when you move from that first vision to the second, it feels so much better, so much healthier. It's hard to imagine it could get better yet. Mm -hmm. But I'm here to say there's more. 
Yeah. And and there's this additional sort of sort of vision or or layer you can add where okay, I'm responsible for me, you're responsible for you, but I'm also recognizing my influence over you and yours over me and I can help myself and my partner at the same time. Mm-hmm. I call you that know? gifting. I love you it. Know, is yeah. choosing to gift to someone. Yes. And then what from that differentiated self I can choose to offer this experience or support you in this way because now I have conscious choice versus I have to, or I should, or I'm not good if I don't, you know, so it's really conscious choice of gifting. Mm, That's good. It's well said. I was curious. So this has taken us another route. Hope everyone's cool with that about the grief work and, and, and okay. So for our listeners, what would you, what would you say that really means? My question, like, what is, what's the grief work? What's that about? Yeah. Grief is, so not every loss causes grief. That's the first thing, right? Like if I lose my, my, my little water thing here, this in completely overpriced um, water <laughs> container that I have, which was a wonderful gift from someone. And I really like it. And I use it every day. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be like it, but I'm not going to grieve it. So a loss only pushes us into grief when in light of the loss, we have to rework, reorganize, reconstruct something called our assumptive world or our assumptive reality, the world as we assume it to be. Okay. So, you know, I've never known the world without my mom. My mom dies. What does it mean to be in the world without my mom? Okay. So the more woven into the fabric of our assumptive reality something is when that thing is gone the more intense the grief work will be okay so what happens with betrayal hidden betrayal is what's lost there's loss on both sides for the betrayed partner what's lost is the story that he or she thought they had right I thought this was our short, not that it was all, you know, rainbows and unicorns and, you know, sprinkles, uh, even, even it was hard, even it was filled with challenge. This is what I thought we had. It is gone. And that causes a crisis in the brain, right? That's kind of, now I can't predict future threat and all this kind of stuff. But even once I have all the data that a disclosure can give, now I have to make sense of it. Grief is essentially a meaning-making process. What does it mean that this wasn't my reality, but this is? What does it mean that I don't have this story anymore and I have this one? What does it mean that that anniversary trip where I thought this, I now know, you know, had these two events on either side of it? What does that mean for the addicted partner or the partner who did the betraying? You know what's lost there? probably a pretty major unhealthy defense mechanism or coping mechanism that they might've been carrying for decades. That's a grief process. That's hard for a lot of partners to to think like he's going to grieve the loss of his addiction, but technically clinically, yes. What does it mean to be in the world and not have that anymore? (laughs) And, and here's where let's bring it into the couples realm now. They will grieve, like unless they get, you know, you know, the, the trauma is untreated, they need more trauma work, or there's continued new discoveries and lack of stabilization, all of that will keep them from, from getting into grief work. If, if they 
do get safety and stabilization, they're going to grieve. Your brain is naturally going to process through this. What does this mean that this happened, right? But if they do that individually, they will not come out the other side of their grief work with a shared story. So the shared story that was lost is not replaced with anything, and it will be very difficult to have a shared trajectory of the future without a shared understanding of the past. It's critical for rebuilding trust. I can I can believe you love me to whatever extent you're capable of love, but if you if I don't know that you understand how you hurt me, how I really experienced what you did, I'm going to have a harder time trusting you won't do it again. Love is not all you need, okay? Um, you know, so that's a part of it. There's so much growth and empathy that can happen through the development of this collaborative narrative. So, so grief work for a couple is what's our new story going to be? Because how we come together to understand what has happened to us is going to point us in a direction for a future that is shared or not. You know, I've been having these conversations with my clients lately about about um, about clearing, creating space for creation. Mm. And oftentimes that process of clearing is uncomfortable. You know, in, in, in many cultures, we've had like the gods of destruction and all the all that kind of stuff. And really, when you look at that, it's something has to get cleared out so that we can create something new. And that's true for us individually in our recovery. Like you were saying, you know, as, as addicts, I mean, I know, I know this story, grieving the loss of my addiction as dysfunctional and as much as I did not want it, there was still a grieving process going on there. Mm -hmm. I remember a point in my own recovery of, of realizing that I was going to have to be known and that terrified me. And, oh, yeah. it meant, and it meant I had to get, let go of the persona I had created so that who I really was could step forward. I know that partners go through that same thing on their side. The, the relationship I thought I had, the, the 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 way that I thought that I related to you is mm -hmm. gone. And and now what happens and what what do I build in this place? And the couples are doing that. But there's this piece about it embracing. And I think this is where the grieving comes in because the grieving is, is the experience of feeling that clearing of space. It's the the letting go of, it's the 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 trusting that whatever I'm letting go of here is gonna be is gonna be painful. It's gonna be uncomfortable, but that's the only path forward to allowing something new to be created. Mm. I, I I think you're exactly right. That's so well said. You know, I, I I'll say to my clients, you you can't have spring without winter time. Right. You can't have resurrection without death. I mean, there's 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 a, a hundred metaphors for this um, that that we can we can speak. Um, and and the most sort of powerful moment I had that that helped me um, see this it was with my my clients are my greatest teachers. Right. So I'm with this couple who I had been working with for probably 18 months at this point two years, maybe somewhere in that, in that range. And this guy had been, he went away to a program, a very good program, 45 days came out. He was sober, but every time she wanted to talk about the past, talk about all that, he's like, I can't do, I can't do that. I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward. Part of this couple's 
story was that 40 years before that they had lost a child. Okay. I think, I think she was two years old and every year for 40 years on that child's birthday. And on the date of that child's death, the mom would go visit the grave. And every year she asked the dad, her husband, will you go visit the grave with me? And every year he said, I don't need to do that. You know, I carry her in my heart. I, you know, I don't need to go stand. That's just a plot of land, whatever. So fast forward to in my office and she's, I'm trying to help her express her pain. It's a very EFT ish moment. Okay. And something clicks in him and he looks at her and with tears in his eyes, he said, you need me to go stand over the grave with you. I was like, that's it. Can, can we do this together or not? You know, like I have, he had to go, let's look at the carnage. That's also his words. I'm going to walk through the carnage, right? With you be, so that you're not alone with it. And so we can build something new. You know, when I, when I hear you tell that story, what I hear is he had a little bit of a dramatic shift and I'll put it in shift from just doing his sobriety work into recovery work. Sure. And, and I think about like the couples that we work with and, and I kind of will say the determining factor on the addict side, whether the relationship's going to have chances is have they found recovery, which really means are they living their life differently? Are they having empathy? Are they stepping into that recovery zone on the partner side? It's often, are they willing to tolerate that the addicts, journey and that their journey as a couple is going to be imperfect. I'm curious for you, are there, you know, like Gottman has his famous four horsemen and all that. Are there, um, are there issues or, or um, dynamics that come up for you that either signal a, a couple has a, a really good chance of making their way through or that are there dynamics that come up that sort of like for you are sort of like, Hey, warning, beware. If this doesn't get addressed, there's, there's problems on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. The, the very first thing that comes up for me when I hear you ask that question, Tim, is, um, around honesty, mm -hmm. rigorous, radical honesty. Um, Scott Peck, you know, the the road less traveled, he has a quote in there, mental health is a commitment to reality at all costs. Yeah. Although I feel and, the need to hop in and say, yeah, there's a difference between rigorous, radical honesty and brutal, brutal. on honesty. Absolutely. Two very different concepts. Yes. Totally. A hundred percent. And that is an important clarification. Um, but it is, it is a path that can and must be navigated and cut. Right between that brutality and that uh, radical rigorousness in, mm -hmm. the, in the honesty, because yes, it continued deception lies is going to destabilize the betrayed partner. It is going to inhibit the healing of the relationship. But really, to me, the saddest effect. Uh, is is what it has on the uh, the effect it has on the yeah. the addict or even the recovering addict. I'm doing air quotes here if you're just listening, uh, right? Who can't quite fully embrace honesty, not just technical honesty, not a compartmentalized honesty, and th and that effect is 
they are self-deceived. They do not have an accurate autobiography of themselves. And without that, they cannot progress and develop as, as a human being in, in those healthy ways that lead to flourishing. It's just not going to happen. I love that, Jake. I do too. I love that. I, I love do that too. Hey, so got a lot of stuff like yeah. in my head with the client, certain clients. I was like, they haven't get, gotten honest, rigorously honest with themselves. Yeah. So therefore they're coming from a defended place. Oh yeah. They're, they're, they're trying, you know, they're trying, for example, expressing of empathy. They're trying, but because they haven't really acknowledged to their self, what is their real deal and what is their truth and the truth? How can I be honest with others when I haven't been honest with myself? Yeah. They're really trying forward. to operate from a false reality. Yeah, exactly. It's not exactly. going to work. Exactly. Exactly. Jake, yeah. did you say that includes getting brutal beginning? I won't use brutal but uh, becoming very honest with their family of origin, the family they grew up in, the oh, traumas yeah. that they had when they were young. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, it, it takes courage to look at those things. It takes humility to look at those things. You know, this kind of work requires an outside voice, right? Like I cannot do this in a closet. I have to have someone who can see my blind spots and, and then I have to listen to, to those people and listen to, 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 to their input. Not that that's, you know, uh, inerrant, uh, right. The input of others, but I have to have that. And, and so, you know, doing that work, let's take family of origin work as an example. Let me, let you, me oh, intervene go ahead. just for a moment before you go there, because I just want a clarification for the listeners. Well, first of all, welcome. You're listening to conversations on sex addiction and relationships. Here we are today with Jake Porter. <clears throat> but I want to get back to the way Wendy phrased that getting honest with the family. I think some people are going to hear that and go, oh, I need to go share this all with my family. And that's actually not what we're talking about. I mean, if you choose to do that, be very thoughtful, careful, work with your professionals to do that. We're talking about getting honest and clear about what was your family experience? What was dynamically happening? Uh, were there over-involvement, under-involvement, rigid, no boundary, you know, getting, getting honest with your experience, not let's call up dad or whomever and tell them all the ways that I think they've harmed me. Right. Just clarification, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. No, that's, okay. yeah, that's great. Okay. Yeah. Back to family of origin. <laughs> right. And, and so, so if I, um, if I'm like submerged in these patterns from early on, they feel normal to me, right? I don't even notice them. It's like a fish in water, right? What's water? Yeah. You know, it's like, okay. Um, we, we don't know those things. Well, now I'm limiting myself. I'm trapping myself. I'm, I am, I am basically like building my own cell. Okay. There's, I'm not, I'm not making myself open to growth and, and expansion of, of my self-knowledge and my development and my flourishing. I'm saying this far and no further. Um, and, and, and to do that, to, to go further is a vulnerable thing. 
and it takes humility and it takes courage and, uh, and it takes other people, you know, who, who can say, well, you don't want to go that way because that way leads to this, or have you thought about that, you know, taking that track or whatever. So, you know, it, yeah, that, that's my first answer to your question, Tim is honesty, total honesty. And that makes complete sense on the the addict side. Is there anything on the partner side that gives you great hope or gives you concern? Yeah, I there are there are a lot of um, ways to 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 say this. I think, but um, and and I try to be super gentle in my words here because uh, I want to advocate for the understanding that so many of the reactions that betrayed partners have um, are, are rooted in their fear and a very natural threat response to the trauma of the betrayal that they've discovered. Um, the, the piece that I see makes the difference is will this partner own that though she did not cause any of this, only she can do her work of healing. Yeah. Right. He can't heal her. Now he can create an environment that is conducive to healing and should. I think that's part of the justice element of this, which, which is huge, but he can't heal her and her therapist can't heal her or her coach or, you know, or the podcast or the room. And, and, you know, if someone is over, you know, well, I don't want to say overly that there was judgment coming out there. We know that there's a such thing as spiritual bypass, right? Where, mm-hmm. where people just want God to do the healing work in them. Um, if, if someone can't, if a betrayed partner can't get to a place eventually, I'm not having this conversation in the first session, right? But eventually of, of saying, okay, only I can take these steps toward my own healing. And, it, and I don't like all the choice. I don't like the choices I have right now, but I'm not going to let me not liking the choices I have keep me from making choices because the way I get to better choices is by exercising the choices I do have now. Right. So the idea of being stuck, that kind of thing, like if they, they've got to move around past that, they got to move through that. And say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make the choices I can make to do my healing work. No, I'm gonna ask you an impossible question as we're getting close to wrapping up, Jake. I love impossible questions as we're getting close <laughs> to wrapping up. Um, so any tips or advice for couples who are just starting this process coming in? You know, there's betrayal of some kind, and there's there, you know, they're they're finding this resource. Any tips for them that are brand new and or someone who may be further along who feels like there's something missing, there's something I need something. Any anything you would say to to folks in those those areas? Sure. So when I think about someone who's just getting started, um, I think this is what I would say to the betraying partner or the addicted partner. Okay. Is I would say, you know, especially if they've already gotten a little bit started in, in individual work and maybe they're in a 12 step program, I would say this, think about why a 12-step program works. And there's actually research on this. Okay. What makes a 12-step program work? It comes down to two things. Well, first of all, it only works if you work it. Okay. (laughs) So what does it mean to work it? Two things. Number one, they get completely honest, whether it's with a sponsor or a home group 
or, you know, their core five or what, you know, there's a lot of ways to talk about it, right? They get completely honest. They're real with someone. And then the other thing is this idea that I'm going to put my recovery first. Now, what's meant by that? I'm going to go to my meetings. I'm going to make it, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do the step work that my sponsor puts me through. So what's actually happening there is they're being transparent and they're, they're not making themselves the center of their own universe. Here's what I want to say to the addict out there who's just getting started. Take those two things that we know work and apply them in the most important relationship in your life, which is with your wife. Mm-hmm. That That's couple-centered recovery, okay? That's a better elevator pitch than my first one. You know, it's like the thing that works out there. Why would you do that with these guys that you spend two, three hours a week with when you spend many times that with this woman who is also the one you hurt? That's where you go learn to be transparent and put something bigger than yourself in front of yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so so that's some advice I'd give to those starting out on the addiction side. On the betray partner side, I would say find the right help. That's just like, like you've got to find the right help. There is a such thing as treatment induced trauma, and maybe you've already experienced that and you get to say, this is not good for me. And, and you get to interview your provider mm-hmm. and, um, and, and AppSets is a great resource to find, find those, those people who would be helpful. And mm-hmm. so, um, so there's that as far as someone further down the road, Dan, you know, maybe they feel like something's missing. I would, I would say, spend some time, ref- you know, replay this episode, right? And what it was kind of convoluted, I know, and kind of heady. What I talked about that paradigm around individual work versus couples work, uh, those visions of a relationship. What are we aiming at? Um, replay that. Think through that. Have conversations with your partner about that, right? Like, what are we on the same page about what we want here? what we're aiming toward, what is our philosophy? You know, how, how has our treatment been approached from what paradigm? And, and maybe there's a need of a bit of a course correction in there. And that could be as simple as just telling your, the, your existing therapist, Hey, I want to, I want to, I want to amend my goals for what we're doing together. You know, it could be that simple. It, it could be finding different support or additional support, but um, that, that's what I'd encourage you to do. So I'm going to continue the wrap up here, Jake. When, when, so often folks who come on to the podcast have a book or podcast or something. And I'm like, is there a book in the works? Oh gosh, you, you now you're, you're going to put me on the hook. So okay. I, I do have a book. Maybe someday. <laughs> I've started a book. My goal oh. is to finish it by the end of the year. Um, so I'm working on that. All Both right. I, Actually two books. I'll be real with you. One is a children's book um, that has nothing to do with sex addiction or betrayal. Okay. Trauma, but uh, um, that's great. Attachment theory and affect regulation. That's so, excellent. Yeah. Okay. So two books in the works, maybe mm-hmm. finishing the end of this year, 2024 is a possibility mm-hmm. and podcasts. You are the host for the AppSats podcast. And yes. where could they find the AppSats podcast? They can find that pretty much on any listening platform, Spotify, uh, Apple podcast. Um, uh, just, just look for, you can go to the AppSats homepage, appsats.org. Okay. And there's a link there. It's called betrayal recovery radio. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show today and coming to talk to us about couples therapy and attachment and grief. 
What a rich conversation and just so appreciate you spending time with us. My so pleasure. Thank you all thank and you. thank you to our listeners who joined our conversation on sex addiction and relationships. And uh, just like Jake was talking about where you can find uh, the Absats conversations you can find on YouTube, all your podcast um, platforms and Instagram and all those cool places that I'm forgetting to say. Tim, what am I forgetting? We are also doing <laughs> mailbag episodes. So if you have yes. questions, comments on betrayal, trauma, sex addiction, sex, relationships, or kayaking, um, <laughs> send us the questions and you can email those to conversations.sar at gmail.com. And we will get to your questions to the best of our ability. Thank you. Thank everyone for joining us and hope you have a lovely day. 